morning. Welcome to Mission View. My name is Matt. If this is your first time here with us, I'm so glad you came to worship with us this morning. We are in our Advent series, um, uh, getting ready to celebrate Christ's coming. And we've um, looked at Mary and Joseph. Today we're going to look at the wise men. But um, before we jump into Matthew <clears throat> chapter 2, um, I don't know if you have seen on the news or not the tornadoes that have hit our neighbors to the south and west of us. Uh, many lives um, are going to be devastated for quite some time. Uh, I, I know the loss of life down there. They're probably expecting up to around 100 people have lost their lives in the tornadoes. I just wanted us to take a moment and pray for all those who, uh, during this time of celebration, will be a, a time of grieving for them. Let's bow our heads and pray for them. Heavenly Father, we recognize your power and your sovereignty. We thank you that you are a God who is in control. That you are a God who is acquainted with grief. And so uh, you say in your word that you've sent your Holy Spirit to be a comforter. So we pray that, God, you would comfort these families who are going in through such great loss and such deep grief. Father, that your Holy Spirit would minister to them in this time. God, we pray that uh, they would sense that, that presence and that comfort from you in a powerful way. We say, come and have your way in their lives, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Go ahead now. turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2. <clears throat> We're just about a week and a half away from celebrating the birth of Christ. Uh, this Advent season, we're just taking that time to prepare our hearts for that great celebration on Christmas Eve. We light these candles, we read the scriptures, and we pray um, in, in great expectation for the celebration on Christmas Eve. How many people here have traveled a, a great distance to see something amazing, something maybe you had heard about, something you were very excited about? Maybe it's the Grand Canyon, or maybe you wanted to go overseas and see something amazing, experience something amazing. Anybody make a long trek somewhere, a long distance? Yeah. Well, we, we, we get these things in our minds. We hear the stories of people telling us, and, and we have this great expectation of going and seeing something that's just shocking, right? I, I have not been to the Grand Canyon yet. I really want to go. But everybody I talk to, they're like, you've got to go. You, gotta, you stand at the edge of the Grand Canyon. It just takes your breath away. And I just have this great excitement about going there. Well, the wise men, or the magi, that we're going to be looking at today had a great expectations. For hundreds of years, they had heard a story of a Messiah, a, a king of the Jews that was coming to, to make things right. This Messiah would come. And they had probably heard about this through, from the exile of the Jews in Babylon. It's uh, mostly believed that the Magi or the wise men came from Babylon. And they had heard the prophecies from the prophets, the, the Jewish prophets, that there was a Messiah coming. So Hundreds of years passed by, and these prophecies, these magi heard the prophecy, watched the stars, and they see what I believe to be a supernatural happening, a star, and they go to follow the star because it was the sign of the coming Messiah. The Messiah had come. Just an amazing story. They had a great expectation that they were going to make this long journey, probably 500 to 800 miles. If they're coming to Babylon, it's 800 miles, four to five month journey. They're bringing gifts fit for a king. 
just amazing gifts, I mean expensive gifts, and they're traveling with a huge entourage some 800 miles expecting to experience something that indeed changed their lives and ours and all who would look to Christ changed the world. Just an amazing thing that they got to witness. Let's pray before we jump into Matthew chapter 2 here. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can read your word today. So, Father, as we open it, we pray that you would open our eyes and hearts to the truths of your word. Just like these wise men were moved to come and witness the birth of Christ, to witness the life of Jesus, and to be witnesses of the great coming of the Messiah, we pray that we would be a great witness to the Messiah as well. As we prepare our hearts to celebrate, to look back, to remember the birth of Jesus Christ, Father, we pray that we would be a changed people. That even this morning we would, we would encounter the King. Come and be with us. Father, I pray that you would give me the words to share. Use me for your kingdom and your glory. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Matthew 2, verses 1 through 12. I'm going to read it again for you. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? And is, I, this is one of the most remarkable things we find in the story of Christ. We had the virgin birth that we talked about, this supernatural, miraculous virgin birth. And here we have these respected wise men from hundreds and hundreds of miles away that are looking at some supernatural happening in the stars, and they know the king has come. They prepare these gifts. They travel this great distance to lavish Jesus in these gifts set fit for a king. I mean, what, this just doesn't happen. This is one of those marked things we see in Scripture, in history, of Jesus' marked messianic call. That Jesus is God. That Jesus came to do what no man can do. What no woman can do. That Jesus came to make a way for creation to be in right relationship with creator. Just an amazing thing we see right here in Matthew 2. Now get this. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. And all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes, of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. There we have it again. It was written, it was told that he would be born in Bethlehem of Judea. It says, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people. Might want to underline that, that shepherd my people. Jesus came to be the shepherd king. That's going to be one of our points in the sermon today. But the first point I want to kind of draw out of this text is what Herod's response was and what the wise men's response was to Christ's coming. And it's this. The first point is this. The arrival of Jesus was a joy to the wise men, but a threat to the king. Jesus' arrival, Jesus' advent was a joy to the wise men, but a threat to the king. To the king. The wise men had heard about a coming Messiah from the exiled Israelites many years before, and obviously, some of them, some of the Babylonians, had heard this and believed. 
They believed that the Messiah was coming, a Savior was coming, and he had come. They had heard all the prophecies that God was sending a Savior. This was life-changing news for them. This was the Savior of the world. This is when, when Jesus comes and makes himself known to us, it is a life-changing thing. Do you remember when Jesus made himself known to you? Do you remember when you recognized that, that this life that we try and live and we, we do the best that we can, apart from God, just ends up being shallow, hollow, empty, meaningless? And in the, the brokenness of trying to work things out in our own strength, in our own wisdom, and doing our own thing, and that failing over and over again, we find out that there's got to be more. There has to be someone stronger, someone greater than me trying to figure all this out. And Jesus makes himself known to you. Do you remember that moment in your life? This is that moment for the wise men. Maybe you're here today and you're just checking out church for the first time and you're like, man, I, I'm trying to find something. I want you to know that there is something greater. There is someone greater who's made a way for you. He has a purpose and destiny for you. And just like these wise men who traveled hundreds of miles, you don't have to travel hundreds of miles. It is just turning your heart and your mind to Christ. Bowing before him, submitting to him giving your life to Him. I mean, when God opens our eyes to the need for a Savior, it changes everything. It changes everything. And it doesn't just change, you know, our viewpoint on life. It actually changes how we live out our lives. We start to talk differently. We start to do things differently. And God arranges our lives the way that He intends God's best for us. The coming of our Savior is something that brings us to our knees in worship. And that was the response of the wise men. These gifts that they had set aside, this, this gold and all these incense and everything else, were of great, great cost. When I say these were gifts fit for a king, the gifts, it's speculated to be that this would have been three to five years of high salary. I mean, of, of someone's salary back then. So this would have, this would have cared for Jesus' family for many years. So it wasn't just a, a little small thing. This was huge gifts that they brought. But this is the response of when Jesus makes himself known in our lives. We respond in worship. And that's what the wise men did. They gave of their time, they gave of their talents, and they gave of their treasures. Because the king changes everything. Now, not everybody who heard about the coming Messiah was excited. King Herod wasn't happy. And as we read the story, what we find out is that Herod um, wasn't just not happy. He was going to make sure that this king wasn't going to take his throne. So he's like, he beckons the wise men back to him and he's like, hey, where's, where's this, uh, where's this uh, king going to be born so that I can go and worship him too? And he's lying. He wants to kill him. He wants to kill Jesus. You see, when, when Jesus comes, when truth comes, when the light comes and shines, there's, there's only two responses we can have. We can have great joy and fall to our knees in worship, or we can feel threatened by the King of Kings. 
Now, now we have those senses, those senses and those feelings. And, and let me just kind of make it a little clear for you. When we hear about Christ coming, we get excited as Christians. We're joyful and, and, and we just can't wait for what Jesus is going to do as he changes and grows us. But there's parts of us, there's things in our, our hearts that we, we tend to hold on to. And there's things that, that, that we've done in our lives that maybe we enjoy, but we shouldn't do. It's those kinds of things in our hearts that feel threatened. And what I'm talking about is idols. You see, King Herod had an idol in his heart, and it was being king. It was power. He wanted power. He lived for power. Actually, Herod was a wicked, wicked king. If you did some studies on him, man, he was, he was awful. In fact, he trying to kill Jesus, Mary and Joseph and Jesus had to flee because Herod puts out a decree to kill all the babies that were born around Jesus' time. That's the kind of King Herod was. He loved power. And, and what's that phrase, perfect power corrupts? Absolute power corrupts absolutely. Well, that was Herod's life. He had deep idols seated in his heart, and it was power, it was control, it was, it was wealth. And it just controlled him. So the coming Messiah, this this what should have been great joy and freedom and hope and, and, and hope for eternity and, and right relationship with God, Herod felt threatened. He was like, he's not taking my throne. I'm going to kill every kid born through from this time to this time. Therefore, I don't have to worry about some coming Messiah king that's going to take my power, take my wealth away. This is a great warning for us. Because there's things in our lives that have our hearts that shouldn't have our hearts. There's things that, that if God were to take away, would cause us to sin. What is it? What is it that's in your heart that if, if was taken away in your life, that was taken away, would cause you to sin? I mean, there's little things that, that come to mind. You know, maybe it's ease of life. You know, there's, I love, I love going for a hard day at work and just doing a lot of work and getting a lot accomplished. And, you know, you have that, those good days where you're just exhausted. You get all this work done and, and you're ready to go home and relax and rest. And, and you walk through the door and you're ready to go and, and sit in your chair. Does every guy have a chair like me? You have that chair you know, you're going to go and sit in your chair and you want that. It's going to be great because your wife's going to have dinner ready and the kids are going to be just perfectly behaved. It's going to be a beautiful thing. It's going to be wonderful. And you're exhausted and you open that door and you walk into chaos. There's screaming and there's fighting and there's all this stuff going on. And you're like, hold on a second. I, I, was, I had this, this picture perfect, you know, tranquility. What's happened? Why are my teenagers being teenagers? You know, where's dinner? What's happening? You know, what's going on? What are we doing? And all of a sudden, frustration and anger creep out, right? We're just like, wait a second. This isn't what I had in mind. Maybe it's something like that. Maybe it's ease of life. Maybe it's, maybe it's that security we find when we... We look at our 401k or our investments and, and just this, this savings account or whatever it may be. And we look at the security that we have in that. And, 
And it's just so, it's just so nice knowing that things are taken care of and I can control that somewhat and wrap my hands around that, wrap my mind around that, just rest and relax and be assured of things financially for me and my family. If there were to be a stock market crash tomorrow, where would you go? What would you do? Would there be a sinful thought or process that works through in our hearts and minds? You see, when we truly believe, and uh, this is what I think what, about the wise men. I think they truly believed the Son of God had come to earth to make a way for them. To make a way for all who would believe in this Messiah King. They truly believed it. They didn't, they didn't feel threatened that their kingdom would be encroached upon because the prophecies of this Messiah King is that his kingdom would reign forever. That's what the prophecy said. That it would encroach on every kingdom in all the earth and he would be the King of kings and Lord of lords and every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that he is king. And these magi, I'm sure they lived in their kingdoms and they had their monies and they had their peoples. They believed that this coming king was like no other king. So when they saw the star, they didn't hesitate. They went into their savings accounts and they, they went with their ease of life and they just threw it all out the window. They just said, this I'm bringing to the king of kings and lord of lords and I'm going to lay it at his feet. You see, it is, a, it is the idea of belief that changes us. What do you believe about Jesus? What do you believe about God? Is he a, a savior God that loves you, that cares about you? That knows your tomorrow? That holds your tomorrow in his hands? Are we at the place, Mission View Church, are we at the place where we're willing to give it all to Jesus? Now, I know that, that you're all saying right now, yes, we want to be there. And we do. We want to be there. But God wants to move us there more and more and more. And this is one of the things that as we've been going through this, this whole sermon series, we looked at Mary and we looked at Joseph. And now we're looking at the wise men. The, the, the kind of theme that's running through all of this is that this relationship and this belief that, that each of these people had about the Savior is something that we, we have to live into and grow into. And the Holy Spirit has to continually, progressively grow us into this belief and truth of a Messiah God that cares about us, is active in our lives, and that we would be willing to lay it all out, to lay it all down for the King of kings and Lord of lords. Our our minds say yes, and our hearts always seem two steps behind. Our minds say yes, but there's, there's always those things that, that tend to, to pull the heart strings of our hearts. And you know what I think God's doing in this time, and, and I pray that the Spirit is doing in our lives, is that He's changing those things. The wise men had great joy. Herod was terrified. What I would encourage us is that with this is this. God is going to encroach upon the idols of our hearts. And the question isn't, do I have idols in my heart? The question is, what has my heart that shouldn't have my heart? I ask myself that question all the time, and I pray that question that God would reveal those things in my heart 
all the time. Because that's the people he's called us to be. We had our men's breakfast Tuesday or Saturday morning, yesterday morning, and uh, I was having breakfast with a couple of the guys, and, and it was on humility. And so we were talking through humility, and we read some scriptures and shared some stories together. And as we were talking, it was just so encouraging. Guys, if you haven't been to the second Saturday road trip on Saturday mornings, we meet at the new building and the parking lot there, and we go out and have breakfast together. It's just a great time. I encourage you all to come. But anyways, as we were having these discussions about humility, um, we, we, we kind of evolved into pride, and, and um, we were talking about how we all have pride in our lives, and the question isn't, you know, do I have pride? The question is, where is pride rearing its ugly head right now? And, and you know, the, as the discussion went and, and we talking through, um, we started talking about how do we combat pride? And the instant answer is like, well, we be humble. And that's great in everything, but I, I think the real tool that God's given us to fight pride, and this is what we kind of talked about Saturday morning, is worship. I think to combat pride in our lives, to combat idols in our hearts, the true tool, the true weapon that God has given us to combat that in our lives is worship. That our, our, our minds, our hearts would be so captivated like the wise men, so captivated by our Savior, by our King, what He has done for you and me, that nothing else could ever have our hearts. When I am fully captivated, when my mind and heart are, are just racing through the gift of God in the person of Jesus Christ, there's nothing else that can compare. There's no nice house. There's no nice car. There's no whatever vacation or whatever thing we're running after, going after, that can compare to Jesus who loves us and gave his life for us and, and wants to live through in his spirit through us and have relationship with us. That the very creator God wants to have relationship with us. And in so doing, revealing himself to us through his word and through brothers and sisters in Christ sharing the truth together, this encouragement and this stirring one another up to love and good works. When God reveals himself to us, he captivates us. He takes our hearts, all of it. And that's one of the most amazing things he's given us. Now, I don't want to jump to my, my last point, but... Worship is what the wise men did. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. But the second point I want to kind of pull out from our text today is this. Is that Jesus came to be a shepherd king. He came to be our shepherd king. In verse 6 it said, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people. Shepherds were the guys who cared for the flocks, the animals that provided clothing, food, and they were one of the greatest resources of the time, and, and even still today. Shepherds would risk their lives to save the animals under their care. Many predators would come, lions, bears, wolves. You thought I was going to say lions, tigers, and bears, didn't you? I know, I know. I almost went there. Lions, bears, and wolves, and many other. The cattle or sheep were not always cooperative either. I don't know if you've ever studied sheep, but they're not the sharpest tools in the shed. Few, few fries short of a happy meal there. Many times the shepherds would have to redirect herds away from ravines or cliffs, protecting them from their own ignorance and sometimes belligerence. Jesus is our shepherd king. 
quite the opposite of Herod, the king of the time. He wasn't a shepherd king at all. He was a tyrant king. He was awful. Now, one of the most famous shepherds in the Bible was King David. Do you guys remember the story of King David? Before he was king of Israel, when he was just a young boy, he was a shepherd of his father's sheep. David is the one whose bloodline would usher in the shepherd king, Jesus. David was known to have risked his life against lions and bears protecting the flock. He is also famous for defeating, do you remember? Goliath, right? With just a stone and a sling. Now, sheep are harmless, right? It's not like they have these great fangs or huge claws. So if there was ever, you know, impending danger or some predator coming after them, it's not like some sheep's going to be like, bring it on. I got this. No, they were helpless, completely helpless, dependent on their shepherd. Do you see the picture that God kind of creates when he uses this illustration? Now, it's, we have a great definition of shepherd uh, that actually David gives us in Psalm 23. It goes like this. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now that's some amazing stuff, right? The Lord is my shepherd. What's it say? I shall not want. When we think about Jesus being our shepherd king, it means we shall not want. Because he will provide. And he has provided for me and you. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Green pastures for a sheep isn't just not a nice little soft place to lay, but it's sustenance, it's food. It's a nice, safe place to to find sustenance that he's provided for us. He leads us beside still waters, not the rapids that it could be by the river that would take us away or drown us. Still waters. He restores our soul. He leads us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. That's one of my favorite lines in here. He leads us in paths of righteousness because we're cool. He leads us in paths of righteousness because we can do it. He leads us in paths of righteousness because we're worth it. No. He leads us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Do you, do you the, wrap our minds around that for a second? It's not based on my performance. It's not righteousness so for me. It's not righteousness so that everybody can see all the good that I do. It's not righteousness for all these other things. It's righteousness because he is going to be glorified. That is really, really reassuring that it doesn't rest on our shoulders. That he's going to lead us in righteousness for him. 
for his name's sake. That he would be glorified, that he would be worshipped, not just by the people that look in and see the righteousness he works in and through us, but he would be worshipped by us. Because when we see his righteousness worked and weaved in in our lives, it's not us going, oh, I'm so awesome. No, it's for his namesake. It's God doing it in us. And all the praise and glory and honor goes to him. Now get this. Because on it, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. This Christian life, this Christian journey we're all on isn't absent from difficult times. It isn't absent from struggles and and evil coming against us. But we fear no evil because it may not be the absence of those things, but it is the presence of the Almighty God and King of Kings. I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Another really deep statement, right? This rod and staff, that God would discipline us. Rod, the staff, which would pull the sheep from danger. It had a little hook on the end of it, would pull the sheep back to where they would be away from danger. Not always a pleasant thing for the sheep, but it does save their life. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. This is what it means. I mean, we could look at this statement that was prophesied. We could look at this verse that we're seeing with the Magi today and the wise men today and and kind of gloss over this. But we have a shepherd king. The last point, the last fill in your notes is this, as we move on. The wise men worshipped Jesus. And verse 11 says, And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. When we encounter Jesus, we fall to our knees and worship. What a powerful picture. Long ago, a choice was made in the Garden of Eden to disobey God. The consequences of this choice would filter down to all who would come. The consequences of that choice filtered down even to us, you and me. Sin would be the leaning of every human heart. And sin would be the choice of everyone to come. Humanity was condemned to death and separation from their creator. But God, but God, because of the great love that he has for us, promised that he would make a way. God set a plan in place. He chose a certain people by which he would bring his son into the world. He would be their God. They would be his people. He would set them apart from all other people groups in the world. He would give them his law, to protect them and to guide them and to set them apart from any other people group. He would make a covenant, a promise with them, protecting them and caring for them, sustaining them, that they would bring the bloodline of Jesus into this world. 
the people of Israel, the line of Abraham and David, would be the bloodline of King Jesus. Thousands of years would pass, and this chosen people would not always act like the chosen people they were called to be. And in so doing, they demonstrated man's desperate need for a Savior, one who could live up to God's law, their side of the covenant, their side of the promise. And God sent his only son to do that for me and you. This Advent season, that's what we're remembering. This isn't just, now that I can say this, just the coming of Christ, the coming of the Messiah. This is a culmination of thousands of years of sovereign, guided human history that God planned and worked his will and way in. And Jesus came for me and you. That's what we're getting ready for. This Advent season, as we prepare, next week we, we look at the shepherds, and then Christmas Eve we look at Christ. Let's prepare our hearts to worship. Let's give our lives, all of it, to Christ. And like the wise men, that we would give of our time, the four or five months of travel that they did, what kind of sacrifice that had to be to leave home for four to five months to make this trek to, to meet Jesus. And not just that, but they had set aside gold, frankincense, these, these very expensive gifts to worship God with. Are we a people who will give of our time, talents, and treasures to God? As he calls us to, out of a heart of worship. Now this is a this is a difficult thing, but our worship has to creep into every area of our lives. It can't just be a 45-minute service or an hour service on Sunday mornings and call that worship. Worshiping God has to be our very lives. In Romans 12, it's, it says that, that our, our lives are lived out as a sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. And that's, that's Monday through Sunday. That's not Sunday mornings for an hour. It's a lifestyle of sacrifice and relinquishing our will to him. If there's anything we can learn from the wise men, it's that. That Jesus deserves everything that we have. And quite honestly, everything we have is his anyways. It's just us realizing it and recognizing it and living that out. So, Mission View, let's be a church that give everything to Jesus. Amen? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, as we look into the wise men and the sacrifices that they made, the journey that they made, the gifts that they brought, Father, I pray that you would challenge us, that we wouldn't be like Herod and hold on to the idols and the things that, that we desire, God, that we would lay those things at your feet, that we would be like the wise men. As we prepare our hearts to celebrate Christ's coming, we would be filled with joy. And we would be asking, God, what gifts can I bring? Lord, what talents have you given me that I can lay at your feet? How can I serve you? What can I give this season because of the great gift that Jesus is to us? God, I pray that we would be a worshipful people willing to lay it all down for you. Father, that we would be used up for your kingdom, that nothing would be left.
but you and you alone glorified in our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand as we sing our closing song this morning.